everybody and welcome to Ace Comicals episode number 126 and uh, we we have Rahul back. Hello. It's been a while. Has, has it been a while? I don't know what's been happening the last <laughs> few months. It's all been a blur. It's great to be back though. Yeah um, and, and we yeah so you're, you're back basically today to gush about Saga aren't you? That's the only reason I'm here. <laughs> No, it's good to have you back, man. Um, and um, so, I guess, what have we been up to in the past two weeks? Well, I've done largely nothing apart from play Pokemon Arceus. I'm still calling it Arceus. Don't know if it's Arceus or Arceus. Don't really care. been calling it Arceus since Diamond and Pearl dropped all those years ago, like like I said on the previous episode. So, you know, whatever. No one's corrected me yet, so I'll continue to use the word Arceus. If I um, remember correctly, I think that was semi-sold recently, where I think originally it is uh, Arceus. Yeah. Because that fits the uh, the canna better, uh, and that's what it was. But then, through localization and stuff over the years, because it sounds so much like Arse, they retconned it to be Arceus. But, uh, so they, it, mm-hmm. you could accept it anyway. Oh, okay. I mean, that might be apocryphal, but that's what I've heard. <laughs> apocryphal, eh? um yeah i mean speaking of apocryphal we've got some really cool books for you um one of them is fairly apocryphal and dips into some fairly apocryphal places um so we are gonna kick this off i mean i don't know like uh just sideline has anyone got anyone anything they want to bring up up top or should we just go straight into comics uh, just one quick thing. I don't really have a lot to say about it, but I picked up um, Berserk a little while ago. I think just before Christmas, I, I picked up like basically every volume of Berserk. And I've got, I think, like 13 or 14 volumes in. And it's incredible. And I hit a point that was like supremely messed up and violent and gross. And like, so I had to put it down for a little while, but I'm looking forward to like resuming that soon. Um, and I think the main reason I picked it up is like I've been playing Dark Souls and I'm looking forward to Elden Ring. And I know that was... A, you know, there's a lot of influence in those games from these books, so uh, I just want to confirm that that's the case. And if you're itching for some more like from soft vibes, go check out Berserk. It's really good. Cool. Um, I I've got Berserk, um, and I've a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I started reading it, but never caught up. So I think I'm like a fair few chapters behind. Right. I mean, um, as in, I know. I know Berserk is, isn't continuing now anyway, because, mm. uh, you know, the, the tragic loss of the writer. Uh, Kentaro Miura, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we're only like, but I'm, I'm as in like the, the, the final chapter, I'm miles off it is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you and me both. Actually, yeah. well, uh, before we move on, like a thing that surprised me is like, I got into the, I picked up the books because I thought they would be super from softy and they would give me that sort of like, you know, open-ended world building that you get from these Dark Souls games. And it turns out, like, the first few chapters, or, like, the first volume, maybe, really has that in spades. It has, like, that, um, you know, mythology and, like, dark creature design and everything. And then it really quickly shifts, like, back in time to this Golden Age sort of very human story about this, like, Band of Brothers kind of thing. And it basically has none of that monster, like, from softy design that I was looking for for about 10 to 12 volumes. And, like, despite that, I got really into it. And now I've hit the point where it's starting to blend all of that stuff back in again. Some of that, you know, the, the mysterious 
out of this world kind of stuff. So just yeah. uh, warning up front, if because I recommended it for that reason, just be forewarned that there's you know <laughs> a good few hundred pages of it not being that thing for a while. And Berserk does come with a content warning. Oh, a massive content warning, especially yeah. for volume 13 in particular. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, that, look that up if you're sensitive to, to yeah. violence and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you pass the eclipse bit with the bear helmet and everything else. And... Pr- yeah, that's basically what I'm referring to. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, Leon, anything to bring up up top? Yeah, not necessarily. I've been checking out bits and bobs, but. Nothing complete. There'll probably be more to talk about uh, regarding this stuff in the future. So watch this space. Okay, then. So the purpose, the the, the sole purpose of the cast, which was comics. We are now into comics. So uh, we're kicking off with Saga number 55, which I, I mean, we talked a little bit about this last time uh, on the last episode <laughs> about how this was back. Uh, we didn't really say anything other than Saga's back. Hooray. It's basically the the... The gist of the conversation or the conversation boiled down into two sentences <laughs> um but saga's back hooray uh rahul you're the saga guy tell us about saga yeah i heard you guys preface this last week so like <laughs> uh yeah to, uh, to confirm a couple of things you guys said in the last issue like uh number 54 came out so this is number 55 came out quite recently issue number 54 came out on the 25th of july 2018 so three and a half years ago and like as leon as you said in the last episode you could have told me it came out before the Trump administration and I would have believed you. Like, it feels like, it, I don't know, time dilation or something. And, like, I have a terrible memory for details, so you could threaten me and I'd have trouble recalling specific arcs of the saga story from issues 1 to 54. But yeah, what I do remember is it being quite clear, both in, like, the text of the story, uh, like, the text of the story and literally in the text of the post-comic chatter from you know, uh, writer of the book, uh, Brian K. Vaughan, that saga is about the troubles of raising a family in a, you know, in, in fractured, hostile worlds. And so 1 to 54, like in very, very brief summary, like it tracks the childhood years of Hazel, the story's narrator, and she talks about the various ways her parents who, as beings from different species on opposing sides of a galactic war, sacrifice so much to keep her safe. And like not just her parents doing, you know, doing these sacrifices, but also... Uh, friends, strangers, would-be enemies, you know, enterprising allies, all of that, all of that good dramatic stuff. And so while I don't remember many of the, uh, like, specifics of the preceding storylines, and I'm really looking forward to, you know, refreshing my memory banks of those. I'm going to go back and reread them all uh, sometime very soon, I think. Um, I do know that number 55 picks up thematically where 54 left off. So, like, Hazel... Uh, now a child of around 10 years old, I think they, they mention. Um, you know, she's trying to find... Like, she's a child. She's trying to find literal and figurative magic in this wild universe that she exists in. And her, uh, you know, her parental figure's doing whatever it takes to keep her safe in spite of all of it. You know, it's in spite of her adventuring through these hostile worlds. And the universe that Brian K. Vaughan and Fiona Staples um, have crafted is, uh, you know, as it has always been, a really interesting stew of uh, like real world issues blended into fantastical settings. And issue number 55 right off the bat sets the stage of like, it's about to get heavy, but like uh, senseless and reactionary gun violence by occupying police forces upon people of a specific race. Um, It gestures towards the psychology of the kinds of people who are given 
uh, weapons and an ideology of hatred by the same institutions. It touches on how no one peoples are a monolith. Not everyone who looks the same, you know, not everyone who looks alike shares alike morals or shares responses to the violence that they've you know become victim to. It it does and as it always has done poses really complicated like complicated questions and then actually has the decency to provide some simple truths. So like the fact that people find it difficult to live amongst each other, but life is precious and worth fighting for. And I think that's that's the overall message of Saga, I think. And like, I'm, I'm being deliberately vague because I know there's going to be a lot of people, including in this room, that haven't read most of the series so far. So to give one hook for issue 55, like I'll reveal one thing, which is that Hazel's relationship with her... Um, like foster brother as as it's now become is really beautifully portrayed in this issue i think uh, there's this young boy who's lived through some really traumatic events um he's mute uh, unable to you know express what what he's been through and the adults in his life are struggling to get through to him and hazel you know the precocious little rebel that she is shows him some music that she like stole from from somewhere on this planet that they're on and what the saga team then deliver is like a really good distillation of what they've always delivered, like an extended sequence of joyous catharsis, vibrant musicality, and a really brilliantly stupid, irreverent punchline. And I really can't wait for you guys to all get caught up on it. Um, so with all that being said, Greg, can you tell me, like, what have you, what was your journey recently? Like, did you have to catch up to be able to read 55? Or like, what were your thoughts on 55? Um I did have to go back and reread the previous volume because it's been so long. <laughs> I mean, you did more work than I did. I didn't go yeah. back and reread anything. I just picked up fifty five. But yeah. like, I, I then picking up fifty five, it didn't. I, I wouldn't have felt like I actually had to because upon reading through fifty five, it just kind of like it sets everything up anyway. It's like they anticipated mm. the fact that people. Um, we're gonna that it's been a long time between issues and people are gonna be you know like not clear about certain things in the story and it kind of anticipates that and delivers a a catch-up as it were in a in in the beginning of the in the beginning of this issue to be honest actually brings you up to date um Mm. it kind of like gives you the gist of what's going on and everything and you didn't uh, i mean as obviously you I wouldn't have had to go back and reread stuff because it's that I was anxious about not be, not remembering a thing when I opened the comic but at that but at the point I opened the comic I realized well maybe I didn't need to be anyway if you understand yeah, what I, I'm trying to say no I do because it <laughs> yeah. does that really good like season three of a tv show like yeah. catch up season mm. opener kind of thing it helps that it's a double issue um this yeah. time around like it's 40 odd pages instead of the yeah, it's like 40, 44 coloured pages as opposed to the usual 22, um, which is always yeah. a treat. Yeah. And there's a, a double page spread with a planet that looks like a skull and crossbones. Which I knew you would love. I was going to that. <laughs> <laughs> which is like my favourite thing in the whole comic. But yeah, I mean, everything you said about the um, the, the politics going on in there and everything and, and the way that it plays out with the, the police forces and everything else. And it just, it just like completely... I don't know. It does what it does what you expect Saga to do. Hmm. It does what Saga's always done, and it delivers. Um, also, got to realize that uh, when am I going to learn that I can't read Saga in public places? 
<laughs> which one of the two scenes are you talking about that you're not allowed to talk about? <laughs> there's a, it, it, just in case anyone hasn't read Saga, there's a lot of nudity. There's a lot of fucking in this in these books. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, and particularly in this in this issue where uh, oh, I, I'm. Mm, I haven't like prepared how I would talk about this actually, so I'm worried that I might slip up and spoil something. But needless to say, there's there's a sex sequence in this book that is traumatic and horrific on various levels, <laughs> um, and I definitely wouldn't read it on the tube. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> read, I, I guess read the book <laughs> like, <it's, laughs> if you want to know what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. No, it's um, it's one of those things where it's like saga. Throughout my time reading Saga, it's become known to be like a bit of a, um, like each com each issue of Saga is a time bomb. It's like you can only get so far through it in a public place before you realise you have to close it and put it down. Yeah, yeah, and it's mad horny. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean that was my other point to take away from it because I, I I always have I had that experience with it and I was like, damn it, why? <laughs> you know, but there we go. Um, I should I should have known basically what was going to happen. I should have known that I would have to just like put it down and close it and be like, yeah. But even thing. even that, like, it's done very knowingly. It's it like is the yeah. first instance yeah. of of nudity in this book is is done very knowingly in that, like, previously it has been been very sex positive. It's been very like joyous and its celebration of sex and you know mm. people enjoying each other. And like the way that it flips it on this occasion is quite funny, <laughs> um, yeah. and I really like where that that whole sequence actually ends up. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great it's a great issue, and um, I am happy that Saga is now back, and I'm looking forward to continuing with this wonderful, beautiful story of this uh, this family in this universe of you know warring broken worlds basically like you you put it best ray i can't really add much to what you've already said to be honest well i i actually want to touch on this this idea of like having to go back and painfully wait a month for, mm. for stuff again because we've not I, I feel like i haven't had to do that for a while like i generally with comics i try to avoid it anyway but yeah. i feel like the way that things have worked under you know the Rome zone i'm i'm really enjoying stuff that's coming out week to week or month to month like um Another another thing like outside of comics I've been enjoying is a show called Seven, which is on Apple Plus, uh, the M Night Shyamalan sort of like horror thriller locked house drama, and um, we've caught up to the point that we have to wait for every Friday for some you know for the new episode to come out, and uh, uh, maybe this isn't this is just unique to me and people are, have been doing this for a while, but like it's the first thing among Saga in a while that like I have to wait for. And I didn't realize how much I liked waiting. Like, I like being given that space to think about something. And uh, so, I, like, when you were saying, uh, you know, you're glad that Saga's back, my instinct was to say, yeah, but we have to wait every month. And I'm like, actually, no, it's been nice reading this issue a couple of times while I'm waiting for the next one to come along. And, um, yeah. it's, I don't know, it's a nice refresh of that experience. It makes the reward sweeter. Yeah. And... Um... I just want to touch on the fact because you talked about the, the 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 stealing of the music, the album, and mm, when yeah. they're playing it. What was your song as a kid? What was the song that did that to you? Because I can actually tell you what mine was. So wait, so to like give some context, um, the scene is. Uh, let me recall like how she puts it, because like she, the narrator says, "I don't need to tell you what song I played because you already know it by heart." Like uh, her saying, "It's the, uh, it's the first 
one that you had in the background of that chain restaurant where you were having lunch with your road tripping family and the one that your parents um said uh you know what is this that they're playing in the background it's awful but like so it struck a chord with you i think for me that was something that, that's got to be like new metal it's got to be like linkin park or something like that where like not not necessarily even that mm. um like that edgy like it's not this you know it's not swearing out loud and stuff like it's not like limp biscuit which i never would have <laughs> shown in front of my parents but like i would openly listen to linkin park and like yeah. have it be the that you know quote unquote that noise that my parents didn't understand like, sitting I think, sitting in a little yeah. chef and then all of a sudden you hear if only we could fly <laughs> Like, yeah, I, I have a, I have a really distinct memory of listening to Limp Bizkit actually on a like yeah. on cassette. Um, yeah, like really, really quietly, even when it was on headphones, because I thought I didn't want my sisters or my my parents to hear what I was listening to. And then when they asked me what it was, and like I converted all the swear words into like lesser swear words. So like you know, it's like um, what's that song? You know, we don't give a fuck and whatever, whatever. I was like, you know that my we generation. don't give a guff. Yeah, yeah, my generation. You know, we don't give a damn about you and my generation. Like. It's a very, very vivid memory of me being a very like repressed kid. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think for me it was like we were driving to somewhere and um I just remember hearing it several times on the radio in one trip. I think we it must we must have been driving to the coast. I think we were in the car for about four hours, maybe mm. give or take. But it was mmm by the crash test dummies. Hmm. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, and, Leon, uh, do you have anything like this? Yeah. Which I know you, I know that you have answers to this, but I have to ask it openly on the cast. Uh, it's tricky. I guess it depends on like the time frame. I guess hmm. because it w- it would bounce genres. There'd be probably be times where there'd be something quite new metally, and and in a lot of times there'd be something very hip hoppy. But it's yeah. hard to to quite nail down. Yeah. I, I I mean yeah I had that and then like I I remember my distinct memories of my dad calling my music um, rocks in a washing machine <laughs> like where when I was listening to um, System of a Down uh, and then I think I, I I he called it suicide music once as well I'm sure he did mm-hmm. but like. I was listening to System of a Down, and he's like, oh, this is rocks in a washing machine or something. I was like, oh, you still listen to that? It sounds like a washing machine. And he made that that onomatopoeia as I was listening to it. And I'm thinking in my head, it sounds nothing like that. <laughs> but there you go. I mean, this yeah. is a whole other conversation, so maybe I shouldn't spin off entirely into it. But, like, I try really hard not to have that attitude going forward. So, like, with my yeah. nephews who are, you know, they're in their teens now, and they're listening to stuff that meant something to them, and then it's like... um you know, on the fringes of what would be acceptable for us or what, you know, that that same sort of thing. And like, I try not to be too dismissive of the things that they like, even if I don't like it. Yeah. God damn it. I think I am old because there is some music that I think like, this is just noise. And like, when I catch myself feeling like that, I feel ancient. (laughs) And why shouldn't we spin off into this conversation? Because this is what comics do. (laughs) They draw you into worlds. They, they, you know, take you away from reality for a little while and they provoke these kinds of feelings and conversations which is why this podcast exists i mean i will say like 99 of it i am respectful of i think yeah like yeah i will openly say yeah i don't think it's for me but like you you cool go off like listen to it listen to whatever you like yeah but there is some stuff that i'm like this is just nonsense i mean and... yeah. <laughs> yeah i i think it's an my, old man i have i have moments like that when i hear things 
that I'm like, ugh, what the hell is this? Do you guys have but, examples? Um, not it's a, it's a lot particular. of like, it, it's a lot of TikTok references, which I think is also sort of knowingly tongue in cheek when people yeah. like like nine nephews age share it as well. They kind of know that it shit in the same way that we probably knew that Limp Bizkit was kind of shit, but we yeah. listened to it anyway, and it was we listened to it because it was it got a reaction from people like I, I don't know i don't know this this is me being too old to know what's like cool and what speaks you, to people you bring nowadays. up you bring up tiktok and that makes me feel retirement age when i go on tiktok but there we go no <laughs> like the, i mean you're the tiktoker among the three of us i don't i don't tiktok i i i look at tiktok the same way one has an instagram feed you know right, like, right. and mostly it's videos of goats and cats because <laughs> that's what gives me nice dreams when i go to sleep at night but like, you know, it's just like the some of the um, the 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 memes and references. It's it's become a thing because Sophie is on TikTok as well, so it's become a thing in this house where I can reference a TikTok joke. I can I can do like a TikTok sound, like say "piggy dipping, piggy dipping, piggy dipping in the piggy pool," and Sophie will know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. Like, I have I have no idea what you're talking about. Look it up. <laughs> Look all, it right, up. all right all right all right okay. it's hilarious but yeah um that kind of stuff so yeah it's it's um it's one of those things but yeah i mean we digress um but that's what that's what saga has caused us to do because it's reminded us that <laughs> yes we are old as much as we don't want to be <laughs> we're old being youthful is fun yeah. but it's okay to, it's okay that it's in the past damn kids <laughs> yeah no um so that is i mean leon any thoughts on saga issue 55 <laughs> I, I have zero because i'm what in the maybe the 30s or something when it comes to to saga oh right so, oh yeah. we're, we're all in the 30s mate <laughs> pushing issue 40 <laughs> possibly yeah but there we go yeah so that's uh saga number 55 and that is written by brian k vaughan art cover colors by fiona staples and published by image comics as if you needed to be reminded um next up on the list this is one that leon talked about last episode but we thought there was more to discuss so all of us read it and all of us have come to the table with something to say about it this time and this is uh made in korea so we're back in made in korea um which we talked about on the previous episode and that is story by jeremy holt art by george Charles, um lettering by adam wallet and published by image comics so where are we at with this? Um, so, Leon, remind us uh, what is made in Korea. So, uh, I'll say up front. Maybe uh, we'll. I'll explain the, the basic premise to people who weren't around last episode. But um, maybe after that, you guys could give your your thoughts and ideas on it, and then we have like a noted spoiler section where we can talk about stuff more in depth, since I think all of us or most of us have finished it, and I think there's some stuff to, to dig into there that I couldn't last episode. But the long and short of it is that it's a six-issue comic about a android what we selected on in the end uh, but in this world called a proxy yeah. who is sent to america to a, uh, a family in texas but before doing so 
an engineer who's disgruntled working at the South Korean firm that creates all these proxies, which usually sent to affluent parents who can afford them because in this future, there's an issue with childbirth. Uh, I, I, I name-checked Children of Men last episode, and I'll do so again. But like in this sort of new paradigm shift, the affluent and the wealthy are able to get these proxies, which gives them a kid, gives lots of childless parents uh, a kid. And in this case, we have pretty much a transracial uh, adoption with the proxy who is named, then named Jesse with this family and the sort of push and pull of trying to fit into this new society while being looked at as, as an other different and weird and everybody in her close proximities, close proximity, how they all uh, deal with her and how she's treated and, and how that leads on to her trying to gain an idea of her, her broader identity. And at the same time, the engineer who created her is in pursuit, trying to uh, get back in contact and several other things are happening on the fringes. But um, what, from what you guys read, what was you guys take? And uh, did anything that I said last episode sort of resonate with your own take of the book? Sort of. Um, mine kind of goes into um, more to do with like the, the the evolution of human consciousness and the the uh, the way that it toys with that idea and the way that it, it it plays with the idea of the singularity and the you know the the true AI thing and everything else that's that's what I got from it. Um, I was more along those lines. Um, I mean, if I go into my thoughts on this now, so it, for me, like this book in, in general, um, I just want to say up top as well that. Um, this section from this point forward, we probably are going to be talking spoilers for this book. So if you want to read it before coming back, this is your chance to press pause on the podcast. Um, go ahead and read it and then come back when you are comfortable and you have digested the book. So, um, yeah, for me, it's like a meditation on gender fluidity and coming of age and the idea, I, I just got this idea from it. And this is like a beautiful idea for me that I really enjoyed th- thinking about and enjoyed meditating on a little bit. Is the idea that we are energy in a meat vessel. <laughs> um, and it's a beautiful thought, the idea of being able to just like freely move as a consciousness and to transcend the husk or the body. And just be able to just like be out there and move. And, and, you know, we are not our bodies kind of thing, right? Um, and the way that this is, is depicted through this story with this kind of like this this artificial intelligence edge to it and then the, the whole thing about the singularity and the, the, the birth of the true AI, which is what this disgruntled employee is doing on his own time. He's, he's trying to create a code that will create a, a true artificial intelligence. Um and he's been doing this, uh, this disgruntled employee who, uh, who he's been doing this on his own time on company equipment, uh, which is where the, the story begins. Um, and it works, which is where the rest of the story comes from. <laughs> uh, 
but yeah um and and like the ethics of robotic the ethics in robotics and everything else and all that kind of conversation as well so we've got like is it um how do you pass or treat um uh, 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 you know when when something it, it, when you make something and something is so close it's it's life by the time you get to that point where it's true ai it's life so it, it, you you start to question and think about like because in the book there's this whole conversation between uh you know th- they begin with it and then it goes from it to no that's our daughter and it's kind of like uh, the whole thing like do you treat is it a product or a person is it a product or an actual you know living thing and by the time you get to the the fact that the true ai has been birthed and is is running around then it's it's no longer it it, it's not i don't know how to put this into words anymore (laughs) but i think you understand what i'm trying to say right yeah where in in gaining sentience uh, a personhood is gained and yes for the people in direct proximity, people who are, have connection with this new personhood, you have the, the, the sort of friction of what was previously in people's mind referred to as an object is now a person. And how do you pass that and how do you navigate that? Yeah, because they have this conversation in the book a couple of times towards the beginning of the book um where you've got people you know saying oh no that's not my you know that's not my child that's that's a a thing but Hmm. you know that kind of that kind of thinking and then how that changes and shifts well yeah because i think i think that works especially well because of how the story's set up because um i think i this this is one thing that i really loved about the first few issues is that we learn over multiple issues that the status quo for these um these proxies sorry these like these synthesoid robots is only as proxies um in that they're uh the development of this technology like uh there's other things happening on the fringes i guess so like there's um you know uh sex work and their usage in those applications is mentioned but we don't ever see any mention of like their unsanctioned use for anything else like you know militaristic reasons or whatever and like essentially these proxies are complicated subroutine actors like they resemble children they act like children but uh they're incapable of further development um either meaning that they haven't had this fundamental feature of humanity i.e like growth in all of its various meanings um like mentally physically spiritually it's not been built into them it doesn't mean that it's not inherently unavailable to them and like we see the aspect like demonstrated in the the first short. I don't know if you guys mentioned that in the last one, but like there's shorts that appear after each um, each issue, and the first one is called Together, and it shows a young uh, pair of siblings dealing with the loss of their parents, and one of the children is quickly revealed to be human, and the other one is revealed to be a proxy, and it shows like the various difficulties that the human child goes through in its relationship with their proxy sibling who is like an unchanging but ever-present source of comfort to them. And it's quite touching and like really, really quickly shows that the comic is going to transcend the usual boxes, which, you know, question the value of synthetic life. And then we have this this main story of Jesse and how they, you know, transcend these boxes. And I think so many of these, like the bigger story and the little stories told in between, sell that concept really, really well. Yeah. 
um, I was going to go into how we get further glimpses of this world and how this world is set up and how, how the world interacts with these proxies. Um, my favorite one of those is the chef. It's a really interesting story, yeah. that one. Yeah. Because it's like, it's almost, it's it's like darkly comic in the way that some of the other ones aren't, I think, because it's like quite heartbreaking because it's about a, like a, 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 a and the, one of the first adult proxies that's become popular in like mainstream culture because uh, again this is what i was hinting to that like these proxies have only ever like the status quo in this universe when we in, uh, we are brought into this universe is that they're only brought in as these subroutine children but here in this short we're introduced to like an adult chef proxy and they don't necessarily have uh, like I think it's explained towards the end of that story, they don't necessarily have a sense of taste specifically, but they yeah. have all of the data required to be a chef. And so, yeah. like the confluence of being given all of these like various uh, ingredients doesn't culminate in a human outcome. Like it doesn't it doesn't culminate in something that is tasty or delicious in the way that you would expect a chef to make. And it's really heartbreaking. Like it's not treated as a a flippant like joke. Yeah. It's shown how like uh the the proxy did the best that it could under the conditioning that it had and like it didn't let anyone down and its creator let it down like it's it, i don't know it's it, that, i that was really touching and like quite yeah uh quite upsetting in some ways i don't know because it has the um it has all the all the it, it's like programmed with like you know millions and millions of flavor profiles and it has the uh you know the ability to match these but mm. what it can't do is tell you whether it, or not it's good because it's like, well, on, in theory, this should work because this flavor and this flavor should work. But like, there's no, uh, it's got no point of reference for any of it. Yeah, and like yeah. that, that could really easily be just like a, a Twilight Zone esque sort of. Um, but of course, this wouldn't work because it's just a machine that has you know been given data and that doesn't equal humanity. And like, it could be, it could have been that glib. But I think there's more pathos, like, at all of the edges of the stories that it's telling that makes it not that cynical, I think. Like, all of these stories aren't cynical. And I think that's not what I was expecting yeah. from this 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 concept in comic form. Yeah, I mean, there's also, like, a through line that I got from this book as well about finding one's true self and acceptance. Mm. Yeah, so... there's, like, like, a line on, like, a level of enlightenment of uh like less be, ne- less being a, a stage say from a to b and more being sort of like an evolution where everything that was also part of you before is also part of you going forward when you make your changes hmm. yeah because like i do think the final thesis of this story is that like transcendence can be quite painful but ultimately worth it because i think I think I really like the way that this is like visualized in one in one thing where we see Jesse's dreams where they uh you know they they the fact that these proxies even have dreams is or is is quite an eye opener to begin with but we see Jesse's dreams where they they face their reflection and find that they're fragile to this mirrored glass in a way that they wouldn't be uh, like they'd be completely unfazed by in the in the waking world because we see Jesse being you know um exploited as a tool or as a as a tool of violence in i think in issue number three and yeah. we can see that jesse can go through the world kind of untouched they can like um 
you know, come upon, come upon various harms and sort of shrug it off physically, but then have to deal with the mental and like emotional consequences of that. And I, I really like this visual of, of the, of Jesse being fragile to a mirror and the ultimate transcendence is being able to break through that, you know, regardless of the, the, the cost almost. Yeah. yeah I thought it was a really nice visual. And yeah. like how in the run up to that, it's, uh, there's like a haunting of like Jesse seeing the the two school shooter guys like who who tricked her in those early issues and they sort of plague those visions as Jesse makes the steps towards finding the true self and being able to as as the comic puts it uh, like the algorithm it has birthed an entirely new link in the evolutionary change and that's intercut uh, comics wise with us meeting Jesse in Jesse's new body meeting their parents and them immediately just being uh, accepted as being the person who as when they met they were their daughter and now they're their, their son and it's all just like wrapped up it, in, in a way where a transformation in terms of identity has been running throughout and it's completed, but it's, it's just step one of like, of living, to be honest. Mm. It's, mm. Uh, it, it, it's, it, it's a, a new genesis. Yeah, that's a good way to put that. I do think like, because, um, you know, it's, there's, there's obvious parallels to things like, uh, like body dysmorphia and, you know, Jesse talks about, or we see that Jesse is, um, in the body of a child, but with the mind of an inquisitive teenager, at, you know, at the middle point of the, the story. And I think, and again, this is, you know, I have to say a disclaimer as a, a cis man, like, I can only understand these things from the outside, I suppose. But I, my understanding, or like my experience of reading this is that it's handled quite sensitively, like without any heavy handedness. Um, and I don't know, I just, I thought those parallels that could have been, I don't know, a bit more blunt in other stories was handled quite deftly here. Yeah, and I think that's because uh, the author, uh, Jeremy Holt, is also uh, non-binary and was a transracial adoptee themselves. So there's a lot of like truth that you can feel throughout the pages with their words. And mm-hmm. I believe the artist, George Shaw, is also non-binary. So I think that's why things are handled in such a delicate but very real feeling um way and like i said i I, same disclaimer as rahul like i can only like experience or assume to a certain extent being like a a cisgender male but like there does feel like a general warmthness and like going back to something that greg mentioned earlier or i think maybe you, you said it rahul but when in in reference to the proxy stories the short stories that run throughout and them not being cynical. I think there's mm. just throughout this whole story, including those, there is this general like warmth and humanity, which even in a lot of like artificial intelligence stories, you there sometimes is still quite a clinical edge because I think sometimes there's more of a focus on plot and story, but here there is a very actual humanness running throughout the these books and 
in the in the last episode I mentioned how it doesn't feel despite the, it kind of being quite dystopic future it, it's not rendered that way mm. it's all very matter of fact uh, and like visually it feels like 10 years of future to us like technology advances notwithstanding but but like uh, a lot of those dark things have just been cycled into society where like okay kids became a harder thing to happen so we just had a corporation pop up that makes them for people uh, and like it's just roll for the punches stuff which rings super true in this sort of post or like in the in these like later stages of the pandemic that we're in where like the world didn't stop everyone just mm. adapted really like quickly in good and bad ways um and what you're saying there about the the sort of like the, the near futureness of it like it brings me into like the way that the the book is set up like illustration wise because I, I wanted to talk about how it, it's like a soft unassuming sci-fi element so when you look at the art and you look at the way things are um placed on the page and everything it's it's got this um this kind of like everything the environments themselves are clean uniform shapes and we've got these less uniform figures inhabiting these clean technical looking spaces that aren't like it's it's the future but it's the future in a way that a an iteration of a phone model over a phone over the phone model you've already got in your hand kind of thing if you understand where I'm what I'm trying to describe where it's like it's it's more but it's not so much more that it looks like obviously the future if you understand like um and we've got these like like leon was saying there we've got these like musings on this near future society and this this unassuming sci-fi element that kind of like runs through the whole thing things are familiar yet augmented like it and it's more real in that way and there's this like high detail animated quality to it all and it just has this this really like kind of this like through theme of of non-uniform um figures inhabiting very uniform spaces it's almost as if sometimes like it's like it has this real instruction manual feeling about it in places like illustrations from an instruction manual or something yeah. like that yeah technical instructions which i think like fits yeah. in with the mm. the general aesthetic and like yeah. the, uh, the 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 naming as well yeah, and, and, and like, I love the, the texture of these, like, faint lines and this, this little bit of texture they add to everything. Um, these, like, small uh, faint lines, you notice they use it for shading and texture. It was like, uh, like fingerprint, thumbprint, sort of. Yeah, yeah. But, like, uniform versions of that. Yeah, and again, if we're mm. talking about fingerprints and thumbprints, there's, there's that subject of identity again. Mm. Um, and it just... Yeah, I just wanted to point out as well, um, there's like a, a, a neat little Ghost in the Shell reference. It, so, uh, it happens a couple of times. Oh, yeah. Uh, and there's a, there's an Avro one as well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I did thoroughly enjoy it, Leon. So I, I want to thank you for that recommendation because it was absolutely awesome. And I'm glad that I actually picked it up and read it. Um, I like the pages that are sections of code. I think there's some really interesting page layouts done with the code stuff. Hmm. Um, and I think that's pretty cool. Not that I understand any of it because I'm not a code <laughs> guy, but I mean, I thought it was awesome. Um, and yeah, and the the the, the um, 
the little uh, kind of like one shot type stories, the further stories in the in the worlds of made in Korea, like further musings on the ethics and the world of the the story at the time. And I just I just I did a HND course um, when I went to university. Um, I did like a two year. My university course was a two year HND in computer science, and part of that was a little bit about ethics. It's like an ethics module, and and there was this like bit about ethics in robotics that we did. Um, and it was like really surface level stuff. Um, and we studied this scenario, this book about a car factory or something, and like one of the machines in the car factory that was a robot killed someone. Um, or someone died as a result of this thing and um like i just it was so dry and so fucking boring man (laughs) (laughs) and like i just wish that we had this book back then because some of the stuff of like robotics ethics and stuff in this book even though it's like very light on that and it's not like it's not the book itself isn't built to be that. I think you could use it for that. I don't know. Um, it has like a lot, there's a lot of elements in there that, that would have, it's in, it makes me interested in ethics in robotics. If you understand what I'm saying, it makes me interested and engage with the subject in a way that this other dry ass book didn't. <laughs> <laughs> if that, if, if, if that comes across at all in any way, like I meant it to. But yeah, um, and that is made in career, I think, unless anyone else has got anything else to add. Has anyone got anything they want to add to that? I, I, by my silence, I was trying to say oh, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> but like, yeah, I think I think we've yeah. covered everything. I, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I think we've done a good job of not revealing too much around yeah. like the actual plot machinations as well. So yeah. I, I would really, really heavily recommend this. Also, <laughs> like, I, apologies to you, Leon, because when uh, when I finished reading this, I immediately text Greg saying, wow, your recommendations always hit. And I didn't realize that it was a Leon pig, not a Greg pig. But, yeah, it was yeah, I, fantastic. It was a Leon pig. Pig. I, I assumed <laughs> yeah. you meant Leon when you texted me that. Right. <laughs> yeah, because I, 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 I wanted to read when Leon was talking about it, because this is something that had popped up on my, um, like, it was in my field of view. Um, and I'd seen it sort of like knocking about in various places. Like the book just kept popping up, was following me. Mm. Um, and I thought, and then Leon read it for the last episode we did and I thought okay I'm gonna have to read this now and it is really great so yeah I'm glad I did yeah because I've missed all of the online chatter about like the comics world for the last I guess year anyway Uh, so I hope this is getting the attention it deserves yeah it it seems to be doing pretty well it's been had a lot of acclaim and when, uh, when I brought it up on the cast it's just as the trade had come out and I think a lot more people were discovering it that way as well. And it's, the praise seems to have been quite quite glowing. So point, that's quite heartening. One point I wanted to make as well about the trade is the fact that there's no gaps or chapter breaks, really. It just kind of goes, doesn't it, one into the next? Yeah. Cool. It, it, yeah. It, it just weaves in and out as like a complete yeah. story. Which is kind of cool, yeah. Instead of because I was going, I was reading it, and I was like, "Have I finished the first issue yet?" And <laughs> I was like going so like, "Is this a double size?" Fa-? Whoa, no, no. In fact, no. This is just a trade without chapter breaks, which is something that I'd love to see more of. Oh, that's interesting because I read them as individual issues, and each issue yeah. ends with the 
the like the interstitial sort of short story. Yeah. And I quite liked how that was broken up. So I guess I'll 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 pick up yeah. the, the the trade digital copy yeah. instead and see see how that works. The way I read it as a trade, all of the um, interstitial stories are at the end. Hmm. So they collect them all together at the end, and it becomes its own final chapter. Oh, okay, because that's really interesting. Because yeah. that's like what I was talking about earlier. How it the the main story sets up this this you know this status quo and then supports it with the the short story immediately yeah. afterwards. I wonder if you would have a different like not a different read on the story because I don't think I think ultimately it ends up in the same place. But like I don't know that that affected the way that I got a sense of the universe like straight off the bat. Um, it's interesting. I wonder why they made that choice for the trade. I don't know. I feel like the way you read it as single issues was probably how it was meant to be. Maybe I don't know because that's yeah, how yeah. comics are supposed. Like th- that. I think when when you plan and create a comic, I I assume from from the experience that I've had of reading comics and from what I know about comics, I would you would plan it to be consumed as single issues. Hmm. So I think you probably read it the right way, Ray. I'm, if I'm there is a right to... way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know if there is, but yeah. Yeah. I'd say both are because I think yeah. the single issue way uh, works as a good way to sort of get you coming back each month. And I think it gives you a nice, like, world law, like not, not a data dump, but it, it, it pulls you a bit more into the world and gives yeah. you some, fills, fills in some of the uh, the corners of, of the world uh, in really mm. interesting ways. It's, it's kind of... Mm like its own anthology of uh of like uh stories set in that in that world and then i think that in the trade by making it an actual anthology at the end is 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 also a cool thing to do hmm. where now the story's complete you can just get through the story and have that so i do i do think both ways work i'd say both ways are correct and yeah. and both worked for me for sure and i just i wanted to just like augment what i've just said by saying that um i know that comics are written as single graphic novels and things as well i know there are many different i know i've been doing this cast long enough i know that 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 sequential art comes in many different forms (laughs) but (laughs) i just wanted to say that if you write something for single issues to be consumed as single issues to come out as single issues then i assume that the right way to consume it will be as single issues i don't know i don't think you need to prove your (laughs) respect for the medium any more than you have already greg (laughs) I know, I know. I just, feel, you know, I'm on, I'm, I'm on the record here. I feel like I have to point these things out. <laughs> you know? But uh, yeah, if, if we're wrapped up, I'll just run over the credits again. Uh, yeah. So the story's by Jeremy Holt. The art is done by George Shaw, which might be George A, as they are Brazilian. So apologies if that's incorrect. Uh, lettering is by Adam uh, Wallet, and. The proxy stories are done by Ron Chan, Ben Cohen, Yunju Han, Wukjin Clark, Dave Cole, Fred Chow, with lettering on the Fred Chow one by DC Hopkins. Yes, all published by Image Comics. Um, so we're moving on now to one that I read, which was Grave and I. Um, now, this is... Um, gothic horror from the viewpoint of a house so Grave and I is a TKO book and uh, it is written by Sloan Leong and uh, illustrated and lettered by Anna Bowles now 
it's a um yeah like i say it's a gothic horror from the viewpoint of the house itself so the house itself is sentient and the house is kind of narrating the whole book in this kind of poetic way so if i give you the blurb the nature of a house is to bear witness isla's house has seen its share of blood horror and the depths of the human soul cursed with sentience it is destined to observe the terrors that lurk inside each and every one of us so yes it's it's a the, the idea is that the, the you know this this grand old house is sentient and it, it it's it's like a, it, almost in a what the butler saw kind of way but the house is seeing it which is i i actually thought this was really <laughs> interesting i was really into this so yeah um and this, this, it's like it's amusing on the secrets that buildings conceal and it it really really does this it's really unique in this way and i really enjoyed this this kind of like this way of, of looking at things and this way of telling a story the building itself telling the story and narrating the entire book like there's no um there's no speech from the 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 characters themselves other than the house the house is telling you this story um and it's 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 also about beauty and brutality and it has this like real folk horror edge as well as the gothic horror um and the house is observing everything that happens with moral indifference because it's a house it's it's not a person and i think that's really clever as well because it's a house it's not a person and when we anthropomorphize things sometimes we give them the ability to we give them we give them human morals as well right but with this like the house doesn't have human morals the house has what it is which is a house it has its own set of rules that it abides by um and its own set of of laws that it follows um it's it's beyond human laws and, 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 and what it is to be human. It's a house. And the house sees and does not pass judgment or even understand fully. But what it does is it, what it does understand of what is happening. It understands through its own experiences. So it talks about how, like, I know this because this has happened with the raccoons that live in my attic and that kind of stuff. Um, or, you know, it, it understands things through the way that, that it has been treated and through what it knows. Um, and, through its own experiences as a house what a house experiences over time like being flooded or or being battered or you know by winds or or even back to when the house was but a mere tree and it talks about the lullaby that the wind would sing when it was in the woods and that kind of thing and it's just just beautiful in that way um now yeah the book itself is actually rendered in this like gorgeous black and white it's, it's gorgeous black and white illustrations with like splashes of red or flashes of red um and like it's uh, it's visceral it's angry and it's grotesque yet beautiful like i said before it's 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 all of those things it's it's poetry narrated by the house through the eyes of the building like that we're see we're seeing through the eyes of the building um and yeah it's just it's it's um it's something else and i want you two to read it as well because <laughs> i need you two to read this so i can bounce off you about it because it's so good um yeah it follows like this it's like got this kind of like um so without revealing too much of the story which is what i'm trying to do it's got this kind of like the inter interplay between hunter and prey 
um, and how that plays out in nature and with with people and then it juxtaposes the two so you get scenes where it will juxtapose um the characters with woodland creatures and compare them um and it's it's um it's not supernatural horror it's it's like it's a little bit of body horror in there there's a little bit of um it's it's more on the kind of the the cusp of like the serial killer type thing like like when we 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 see horror with a uh, um a serial killer like uh a, a, but but not like a, a monster or a um not not a Jason Voorhees but like more of a um American psycho almost type thing going on i don't know okay yeah um and uh, I don't know really know how to describe it other than gothic horror because that's that's what my point of reference is for this kind of stuff gothic and folk horror combined um and yeah it's just it's beautifully detailed it's it's delicate illustration and design um and it actually you know what else it it brings to mind when I read it it brings to mind a book that we discussed on a previous episode um vicious creatures by sarah gordon yeah, like from from so I picked this up on like your recommendation, but I wasn't able to read it in time for this episode. But from uh, I did read in a few pages, and I definitely got that vibe from from the artwork. Yeah, and and the type of story as well. It has that vibe. Um, and yeah, like it's like I've been saying, it's musings on the natural order, hunter and prey, uh, the nature of a hunter, and it's also a doomed love story. Um, and it's, it's such a collection of things. Um, it's got like this, this grim fairy tale quality in places. Um, and there really is some gorgeous imagery there in, in the way it compares and contrasts, uh, humans with woodland creatures and the way it does the whole hunter prey thing and the way that it it, it explains that and plays that out and, and actually gets you into that relationship a little bit. Um, and like some of my favorite pages in it are like the the house uh the page with the house the full page with the house's lullaby which is um the house talking about how it raised and protected and nurtured isla the the woman that lives there and how um it sang her to sleep with a lullaby that it remembered from when it was a sapling from when it was in the woods and the wind sung it a lullaby um and it's just with complete indifference to what Isla does and how Isla behaves. Like the house's lot is to protect her unconditionally, as the house, as a house will, it is to provide shelter and to protect unconditionally, regardless of what lives there. You know, hunter, monster, whatever. Um, and yeah, I just, I just think it's just a great, a great little bit of savage beauty. This book is, um, and yeah, I. I really loved it and I really got into it and uh, I feel like you two need to check this out. Yeah, like uh, listeners of the cast, like long-time listeners will know I was quite a fan of Prism Stalker, which is one of Leong's previous books. Um, so, yeah, from what you've said and th- that uh, sort of experience going in, I- I'm definitely interested to probably dig in. Mm, yeah, it- it's worth a look, definitely. <laughs> it's worth a read. You should check yeah. it out. I gave a um, quick Google and like 
uh, also long time listeners of the cast will know that I love anything that's like a, a cut section of a building and like you get to see multiple rooms at a time and like one of the first images that pops up is like a windmill builder sort of like cross section of the entire building which is awesome and beautiful and really well detailed so yeah I'll, I'll be picking this up oh there really is some truly fantastic art in here and the crescendo of the book is is beautiful um and it, it does have this 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 distinctly british feel about it i don't know why <laughs> but it does um and it's it's something that i will i will read uh again and again because it is just it is great uh it is a really a really good piece of sequential art it's a really great great graphic novel um and i fully recommend checking that one out and that's uh tko um and i i feel like um I've bought nearly everything that TK have published actually looking at this library that I've got in front of me here on Comixology. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Go figure. I love TKO. They always produce some really 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 stellar stuff. And like I'm, um, you know, I I I'm saying this as a true fan of comics like I buy their stuff because it I see it as a seal of quality because like Everything I've read that's come out of TKO has been absolutely fantastic, superb comics. So yeah, um, you know, like things like Scales and Scoundrels, for example, and um, Roof Stompers, which was absolutely brilliant. Uh, just to name two of the things that we've talked about on previous casts. So yeah, uh, that is Grave and I, which is written by. Uh, Sloan Long and uh, illustrations and lettering by Anna Bowles. So, on from there to the final book of the evening. Uh, we're recording this in the evening. Final book of the cast, uh, which is one that I picked up, which is a book called Nameless. Uh, now, this was this was a, a recommendation um, from one of our listeners. So, Mike sent me a message on Facebook and told me to read it because he said, you'll dig this. It's Eldritch Horror. It's Lovecraftian. Um, basically is what he said to me. And I thought, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll give that a, I'll give that a look. And um, the minute I looked at it and I saw like, you know, astronauts wearing magical symbols, I was like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. When I saw this and I saw the cover of issue one, and, it's like, and I thought this is the most Greggest book that was ever gregged. Yeah, it's. <laughs> and I was like, I've got to check this out because it's absolutely fantastic. So yeah, I, I um, thanks Mike for the recommendation, and uh, yes, we are now discussing it on the cast. So people take solace in religion and in the grand design of it all, and and the light at the end, and you know the the fact that there's like this this good to cling to this light to cling to like people take solace in that they take solace in the idea that there's there's they're, they're going somewhere or, or there's a reason there's a plan for all of it right um but like in in a way this is what draws me to cosmic horror because like as as awful as this world can be i i find catharsis in looking at how in, in 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 getting a view for how infinitesimal the human race could be and how indifferent the universe is to our existence like these cosmic forces that that act and how we often get what we deserve for flying too close to the sun and not leaving well enough alone you know um 
and and how we are but a single fleck of blue and green in an infinity of flecks like it and it's it's like complete hubris to believe that, that that there's something truly special about the human race because of the vastness of the universe in my opinion you know like we can't be the only sentient life out there we we just can't it's impossible and and we can't be that we shouldn't be getting that high and mighty about our position especially when we do what we do to our planet and and we behave the way we behave we're, we're terrible in ways as much beauty as there is on earth there's 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 a lot of monstrous monstrousness and ugliness to go with it unfortunately um and yeah so this is this is what what brings me to this book and and this book just being a um exercise in at the be all and end all of it this book is like it's rooted in magical thought like the the way that the the book is is it plays out the way that we are taken from the way that we go from page to page the page layouts the structure of the story and everything else it is deliberately nightmarish and it is deliberately um it's 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 it is it is laid out in magical thought it is like deliberately like that and deliberately nightmarish and deliberately using nightmare or dream logic to tell the story um because that's how i feel if reality was to crumble in on itself i i, I fully feel this is what we, what it would be like and what it would feel like it would be a total assault mentally on the senses and visually which is what this comic becomes um and it it there are flashes of, of different visions and, and flashes of different realities and it's rife with occult symbolism and it is for me a true representation of what would be the end of days um which i think which is what's the most fun about it to be honest um and it has like this this kind of like apocryphal book of revelations type thing going for it as well because it, it kind of has the like all the symbolism and everything else and it explains it, it, things pop up and things are explained as if you are in a dream or a nightmare where it just collects things from different places like this this eclectic collection of, of magical thought and imagery um and yeah it's just a great set of themes to play with a great set of themes and ideas to get lost in and wrapped up in in this this you know, all, all kind of packaged in this Lovecraftian veneer and with the wax seal of Event Horizon, I guess. Um, and yeah, I mean, Leon, um, before I go any further, you read this as well, right? <laughs> I did, yes. And, and um, yeah, I echo a lot of what you're saying. Um, with, like to say it in, in in less evocative ways than than Greg has, like it really does capture that n- nightmarish, like beyond the veil type thing. Like even just like an issue one where you have the sort of like dream, sort of weird like underworld dream reality stuff, and something as simple as like uh, a weather vane with uh, skewered fish on it. And the directions are not uh, are not what you'd expect uh, to 
or, or like the the shop uh like frontages or having like backwards and upside down like lettering on them everything is just like askew uh which is made even more which which is rendered even more um evocatively in the the scenes with which kind of like an interrogation of when nameless is with the veiled lady and you have these really cool panels where they're sat in a room and then the reflection of the room above is like completely different use of uh like color themes and and on it and then from a different angle the room is mirrored in a completely different uh like color theme so it has this really weird like infinity void feel to it like everything just feels like like you're like you're beyond the infinite whatever that means to you <laughs> and like it's done so for nameless anyway it's so matter of fact where this is just another day at the office in some ways so it it really does manage to do manage to do the thing where we're having the craziest time but uh this person is just like okay what's next and then uh, as we get deeper into the story and find out like what's happening and what's on its way um it it, it doesn't even feel like um a crazy big bombshell for for the character it just feels more a case of like oh, okay this is a this is a bit weirder nameless has this real um john constantine energy doesn't he yeah very yeah. much so <laughs> yeah in the way he is and the way he just kind of like spits in the face of everything and and is you know so tight he he's like visibly worn out with it all um and i guess that's part of the charm of him it's great um but yeah it's um the art the art itself is like really detailed and visceral and it really does not shy away from the hellish imagery because we are taken on a trip through hell is kind of what this is we are so when i say it's rooted in magical thought from my rudimentary understanding um it is um like a a a journey or a path from one a onto another um and it's like um rooted in the the sort of like the cabalistic tree of life um and how if you've ever looked at a diagram of the cabalistic tree of life how it's separated into different um parts uh and then there's the flip side of that the dark side of that which is the um uh kilfotic tree which is the uh cliophotic tree i couldn't work out how to say that i think it's cliphotic tree um which is the the kind of like the dark tree of life which is the flip side to that which is like the mirror image of that and then we're getting into things like the tunnels of set and that kind of stuff and it's it's uh it's it's like all this like mind-bending occult thought stuff um 
but we are taking a journey through hell and then out the other side again from one aeon into another and passing from one aeon into another and it's like that um when it's uh it's it's difficult to explain especially when you have as as a the tiniest understanding of it like i do like i know what i've read but i can't tell you what i've read because it's it's just turned my brain to mush but yeah it's that kind of stuff um and it's like a journey that a magician might take to get from one point of understanding to to another kind of thing um and that's kind of like there's an explanation actually at the end of the trade if you read through the trade you get like this kind of like big sprawling explanation by grant morrison um and they go through all of it and they tell you basically each bit like point of reference for each part in each chapter which is kind of cool and tells you what's going on and gives you like a kind of little bit of a summary of, of what it means and why it means this and why why it's doing um it's a journey to understanding i think it is that uh that they call it um and yeah it's um it's great because it really does throw you for a loop and, and that's what it's supposed to do. It's meant to, it's an assault as much visually as mentally, but there's also so much in there. Like a, that's, it's like, it's a complete battering of the senses and it's disorientating and that's what it's supposed to be intentionally disorientating. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, and the funny thing of that, it, it it's, all this occult stuff, but then also, like, with elements of, like, space and sci-fi in there, mm. and your good old tech bro. <laughs> <laughs> Who, like, I, I, I don't think it's a, um, I don't think it's a coincidence that he looks a little bit like Richard Branson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think that happened by accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's um, it's it's a really cool ride, um, and uh, it's um, it's a decidedly cool Lovecraftian horror book that you should check out, um, because I've never seen anything like structured in that way before as a comic. I've never seen anything try to use that kind of structure or do anything that um, intensely obtuse as to try and use the structure of a nightmare or a dream. I think only Grant Morrison. <laughs> and and the thing the thing that that comes with that is um like these really cool panel constructions throughout yeah. as well because yeah. of this uh very non-traditional uh panels in there or just cool designs and and like patterns with panels inserted within them yeah uh, uh, throughout the normal panel structure or, yeah. or what you'd expect. So, like, it is a very um, keeps you on your toes visually, as it does in its story and its uh, delving into to dark arts. Yeah. Have you ever heard of a thing called a dream machine? Yes. Yeah. So, um, like, the panel shapes in this were, and and some of the like the way that the page page is laid out, and some of the panel shapes and things are taken from the um the the shapes in the cutouts of the dream machine. Okay. So yeah, um if you've ever seen like the dream machine in its original form, which is like a cylinder with shapes cut out of it and then you put it on a record turntable 
and then there's like a light bulb in there and yeah. it, it makes like um light pulses and things and and some of it's actually like some of the panel shapes the odd panel shapes um are actually taken from the dream machine uh which is kind of cool but yeah it's um it's the most greg book i think we've ever discussed on this cast <laughs> <laughs> A class where we frequently talk about TMNT, TMNT yeah. and like Transformers, but this yeah. is the most Greg. Yeah, yeah. Other than other than that, it, this is it. Because <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah, I mean, like it's um, there's a, it's a hard it's a hard book to read because of how in, intense and obtuse the 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 story layout is but once you get your head around the idea that it's meant to be a nightmare and we're taking a journey through hell in all its different forms that's when it starts to make more sense and when you actually start to realize okay this is what we're doing and this is where we're going and then it actually all clicks into place and um the, the the explanation at the end of the book as well is really cool um so i fully recommend checking that out because it is great fun um, and that is uh, Nameless, and that is by Grant Morrison. Um, you've got um, art by Nathan. Uh, you've got it's uh, Grant Morrison and Chris Burnham with Nathan Fairburn and Simon Boland. So it's uh, art by Chris Burnham, uh, colours by Nathan Fairburn, and uh, lettered by Simon Boland. So yeah, go check that one out, please, because it's fantastic. Um, and that brings us to the end of this week's cast. So that is the end of Ace Comicals One Two Six. You can find us in all the usual places. That is um, www. which is the hub for everything we do. On there, it, there are links to our various social medias. Uh, we are most active on Twitter under at Ace Comicals. Um, so get involved with us there at DMS whatever. Um, you can find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. You can uh, find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's B-A-T-T-O-U. Ray, where can we find you? On Twitter at... What's my handle? At Monkey? That's it. I've not been on it for ages. M-O-O-N-K-E-H. That's that's Monkey with a Leicester accent, isn't it? At Monkey, yeah. Pretty much. I've literally just got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's what, it's, I, I took it from the PG Monkey. Monkey, yeah. Monkey! <laughs> That's the one. Yeah. Um, Leon, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. Yeah. So uh, that has been Ace Comicals 126. That is Ace Comicals over and out.